Lena Utrada, and this is the Anti-Dystopians, the politics podcast about tech. So hi, everybody. We're back for another episode of the Anti-Dystopians, and this time we're talking about outer space. The tech companies and tech billionaires who are essentially colonizing the new frontier of space. With us today is Shika Srinivas, who is a student at Stanford University who's studying environmental engineering and human rights. So thanks so much for being with us today, Shika. Thank you so much for having me, Alina. I am very excited to ask you questions about space. Uh, Just to catch up, what is the state of the space space? And who are the tech billionaires that you were talking about and what are they up to? Yeah, so I think it's a really underappreciated aspect of um, the Silicon Valley culture or like the tech corporations in general, but how there is really running through a lot of like the tech CEOs and tech executives, this kind of obsession with space and getting to outer space. And not just getting to outer space and like the NASA moon landing, but like private corporations getting to space. The most um, like prominent tech CEOs um, in this space, in the space space (laughs) um, are Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. So Elon Musk is pretty well known. Um, His company SpaceX, which is a private corporation is is pretty, visible in terms of their their work. So Elon Musk has a contract with NASA, um, or I should say Elon Musk's SpaceX company has a contract with NASA uh, for $2.9 billion to build lunar landers. But they it, it's a almost, it's, you know, it's, it's it's this part of like outsourcing of, of the US NASA program um, to try to get more private corporations to be doing this stuff. So Elon Musk loves, you know, kind of the attention around um, his, SpaceX rocket launches. Um, SpaceX also runs Starlink, which is a satellite, um, like internet satellite arm. um, So he'll have satellites in space that are supposed to be providing internet access. Um, But less well-known, although it's becoming more and more well-known, is Jeff Bezos is also really obsessed with space. So, So Jeff Bezos is a lot more secretive about his space program, although he's becoming less so. Um, So he founded his like space company um, called Blue Origin years and years ago. Um, And when you ask people like, why does Jeff Bezos need billions and billions of dollars? What they'll say is Jeff is compiling his fortune to get to space. Um, So he's been obsessed with space as a, you know, as a little kid. Um, he's like the biggest fan of Star Trek ever. In fact, a lot of people have commented on his um, makeover resemblance to one of the characters of Star Trek. Um, and when you and when people ask why why all of a sudden did you start this fitness regime, he'll say because I want to get to space. I want to be an astronaut. I need to be fit to get to space. Um, and uh, so Blue Origin also has rockets. They're allegedly a little bit behind SpaceX, and in terms of like their technology. Um, And right now, SpaceX and Blue Origin are fighting over a NASA contract, which was awarded to SpaceX because um, allegedly, you know, they'll say, you know, SpaceX is a little um, ahead. But because Blue Origin is kind of so secretive about what they're doing, I'm not quite sure if that is true. 
Um, and Blue Origin just announced that it, this summer, I believe, um, they're going to have their first private mission um, to space. So they're, I think they're auctioning off, I think it might be six or seven seats to the public. So it's like a, um, they're not going to any other planets or something, but it'll just go up to space and down again. And um, private citizens can can book a, uh, a uh, seat on that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how, high the 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 price goes and i think there's certain like fitness requirements like you have to for the people who ultimately get tickets and we'll see what the us does also in terms of regulating this um i haven't seen any statements from them yet but i'm sure that it's going to be some sort of a argument around <laughs> um like safety procedures and things like that yeah i mean that's a great transition into um another question which is why haven't U.S. regulators really said anything about this or, you know, considering the other operations that are going on to support space colonization in some ways, for example, the announcement of Space Force, which I think America is the only country that has an independent space armed forces branch at the moment. Um, clearly, there is like an underlying support and underlying connection of resources, especially coming from like sort of the military industrial complex to this issue. Um, why has there not been much else in terms of their regulation or understanding on the issue? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But I think the general approach to space on the part of the U.S. in particular um, and why Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk have sort of become these figures is I think it fits within this like kind of wider neoliberal trend of like outsourcing. So whereas before NASA was especially during the cold war is you know entirely a government you know arm essentially um this is us government state funding this is considered to be you know just a, a project of both national pride and power um you know to get to get to the moon to like beat the soviets and um you know ended up um producing a lot of incredible like scientific knowledge and mathematical knowledge along the way now space is again beginning to come back into like the public discourse but it's this privatization of space and so there's this argument which i i don't think is necessarily true but this is how it's it's presented is that outsourcing um the space it's not really a race, but outsourcing what is essentially like the colonization of space to private companies is going to be more efficient. So Elon Musk, right, in many ways, a lot of his ventures are public-private partnerships. So the FCC has given him a lot of money for the satellites um, that orbit around space that are supposed to be for like rural internet access. Last, I think it was December, it might have been February, um, uh, he was he, there was a planned rocket launch, um, and the FAA said, "Look, the the weather is just not good. The atmospheric conditions are too dangerous. Um, you can't launch." And Elon Musk said, "I'm going to launch anyways." And they're like, "You can't launch. We remove your license." He's like, "No, I'm going to do it anyways." And he launched it, like literally in violation of the U.S. state. The U.S. government said, "No, you can't do it," and he did it. And so, and and there, I mean, what? Are, I mean, I didn't see Elon Musk in jail, right? Like the FAA literally was like 
okay. And now there's like some additional requirements on him um, to like have an FAA official present at launch. But he does the same thing with um, like Tesla. So like the Santa Clara, no, um, Alameda County, um, where he had previously had the Tesla factory during COVID said, look, you need to shut down your factory. There's a pandemic happening. He said, no. He said, no, you need to do it. He said, no. Mm -hmm. And he's so wealthy and has so much like economic horsepower that the, the county literally redid their COVID restrictions to allow Tesla to operate. Like, you know, the U.S. is supposed to be the most powerful state in the world. And, they, you know, Elon Musk can basically like spit in its face and not have any accountability it just really brings into stark contrast like the power of these tech billionaires and these private companies are interested in getting to space not because of any desire really i mean they'll, they'll probably pay lip service to it about all oh, the scientific knowledge or like uh oh, you know getting to the, the moon or whatever but really for financial gain so jeff bezos when you ask him like, why, why should we go to space? And both men, both Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are like, we must, we must get to space. They see that as a, as a, an a inevitable and desired next step of quote unquote humanity. It's about the continuization of capitalism and colonial capitalism. And so, you know, Jeff Bezos will say, look, at a certain point, you know, we're going to run out of resources, essentially. Um, so it's this acknowledgement that capitalism is exploitative and extractive and at its natural end will literally destroy the planet. And while certain people look at that and say, okay, maybe we should stop and rethink the global capitalist order, um, these incredibly, incredibly wealthy billionaires who have amassed a fortune under capitalism say, well, actually, no, we just need to find new frontiers. And so space is seen as the new frontier in which humanity can continue to grow and extract resources. So I think Jeff Bezos says something like, look, we can get to other planets. Um, he sees like, you know, we can essentially set up, set up not just like extracting resources, like minerals and things that we need, but we can actually set up manufacturing on other planets or maybe even asteroids or the moon or whatever. And then that, that pollution or, you know, negative externalities, quote unquote, will be out of, literally out of earth. And earth can become this sort of like nature preserve of homes and universities is, is essentially what he says. He's, in other places, Jeff Bezos has also said that, you know, we can live in, humanity can live in floating space tubes, kind of like the International Space Station. So it's just this idea of humanity continues to expand. Yeah, so much of what you're talking about is reminding me of like the idea of manifest destiny and how we're extending that to space where the human race and of course, as you can see by the leadership of the space colonizers, the white male human race is going to colonize space. I mean, Elon Musk has literally advocated for Mars colonization. So if you caught SNL last week, there is a really disturbing... Um, skit that they did around, um, you know, where Elon Musk is sort of on earth. He's the like head of what they, he, they have literally called it in the skit, Mars colonization. This is a Mars colony. They're not even hiding the fact that this is exact, this is colonization in which there's, you know, a Martian colony and 
you know, Elon Musk is safely on space, the leader of the like Mars colonization program, um, and something goes wrong and some poor guy, this is the Brad skit, you know, essentially has to go on a suicide mission to save the colony. And Elon Musk is like, well, you are a hero to humanity. You know, it's this, this narrative of, of, um, you know, the, the great settlers settling new frontiers for the, the benefit of um, humanity. We started touching on this just a little bit um, in your previous response, but, you know, you talked a little bit about kind of the environmental impact and how, you know, these thought leaders per se, who tend to think a lot of their thoughts really, um, have basically advocated that the environment is unlivable in the earth. And so we're going to colonize space, we're going to move environmental bads out to this world that's so distant and away from us. Um, not that that's not already happening with dynamics between the global south and the global north and how that's already happening within communities in regards to environmental justice and the placement of, for example, toxic waste sites in the US, just one of many, many, many examples of how race, class, socioeconomic status, and every other identity you hold can affect your access to the environment. Um, but how do we look at the kind of greater environmental impact and also the environmental sort of justice impact of space colonization, especially given all of the connections between colonization of land, um, exploitation and removal and genocide of indigenous peoples, um, and the kind of state infrastructure, nation state infrastructure, military infrastructure that supports that. Yeah. Um, how do we take those to space? No, it's it's such a good point because the narrative that these like space colonizers want to say, right, is that this is for the benefit of humanity is undermined by the very obvious ways in which already the way that they are going about this just not even mirrors, but is just a continuation of, as you point out, the divisions between the global north and the global south. They all continue in this in this way to to expand to space, even as they are justified with this this narrative of like, well, this is going to be, be this is how we're going to solve climate change, or this is, or in a sense, this is why climate change doesn't matter, right? Don't worry about it because we'll just move. Um, but even even now, so there was a really good article a couple of weeks ago around um, indigenous communities who are harmed by the very like creation of or or building of these you know you need enormous launch pads and infrastructure um, to launch space and there's certain areas of the earth where it's easier to do so. So the Indonesian president um, had offered a small part of the island of Biak, which in which there's literally a secessionist campaign against Indonesian rule. So already there's like a power dynamic there. Um, and said, you know, like Elon Musk can build your SpaceX like rocket ship, whatever. And the local community there was like, absolutely not. Like this is gonna cause incredible echo, like, ecological damage it's going to like remove people from our homes you know like this is not helping anyone this is just again continued um you know extraction exploitation of already marginalized and oppressed communities similarly these like tech companies approaches to space i mean the environmental 
as well as just like safety catastrophe that is space, I think is really underappreciated. And we kind of saw it a little bit um, last week when um, there was news about this like quote unquote uncontrolled Chinese rocket that was coming back, that was like falling back to earth. There were all these news articles that were like, you probably won't be hit by a rocket this week, but you could be. And people were sort of like, excuse me, what? And so this this rocket ended up falling um, in the Indian Ocean. But space junk and and the kind of, un, I don't want to say uncontrolled, but sort of like unclear governance obligations of both like outer space and like the atmosphere is already a catastrophe waiting to happen. So the U.S. military tracks like 25,000 objects in space, but there are just millions of other pieces of space debris floating out there, and it's just going to get worse. And it's very difficult both to like remove these objects from space, even when you try, and it's not clear who is obligated to do this. And they, as it as this problem gets worse, it increases the likelihood that space debris will will hit something um, and cause damage to it. Uh, similarly, like in the atmosphere, you know, you have different um, satellites that are orbiting, um, and these um, and these companies. So Elon Musk's uh, Starlink, I think, right now has like no, there's twelve thousand in orbit of uh, Starlink satellites, and he's just applied for thirty thousand more, and just has no, absolutely, like just no regard for the safety of like satellites. And so there's been two near collisions with SpaceX satellites. It was, there was, there's one in 2019 and there was one a year before then where um, a uh, Starlink, the Elon Musk Starlink satellite almost hit um, a OneWeb satellite. OneWeb had to maneuver out of the way because like Elon Musk's Starlink satellite just didn't have the capacity to do it. And similarly, um, in 2019, um, the European Space Agency noticed that like an EU weather satellite looked like it was about to collide with a Starlink. And they literally just emailed Starlink. They couldn't get a hold of SpaceX. So they emailed them being like, are you guys gonna, are you guys gonna do anything about this? And eventually they emailed back like, no. And so the EU had to maneuver out of the way. Um, so it just brings up one, the fact that there's like just very little governance, like realistically and thought to like what is happening in space, but also the fact that these private corporations, even less so than like states and state governments, just have so little transparency and accountability and just don't care at all about the like effects both environmental and more generally that their um their actions are having on the entire planet yeah i mean it's so ironic that colonial capitalism racial capitalism in a lot of ways is the reason we're here in terms of the climate crisis i mean and now they don't want to take accountability for their actions on earth and therefore want to colonize space as a resource to continue this extraction so great irony there um, a couple things come up for me when you've talked about this. First of all, I don't know. I felt very radicalized by Wally when I was little and how <laughs> they talked about space junk and debris and what happens when we go to space for more options, but don't really address the power dynamics and of how we're managing environmental 
kind of adaptation, climate change, all of that on Earth. So I don't know how people left that movie just being like, oh, it's a love story about robots without thinking of the greater kind of parody, I think, to what space colonization reminds me of. It's funny that that, that movie was just ahead of its time, really, um, <laughs> for Disney. Um, I also don't know if you're familiar with this, but um, in one of my courses, we talked about the tragedy of the commons and how that myth is like really just transform the way we think about resources, the way we think about human nature. Um, and there's actually a really great economist named Eleanor Ostrom. Yeah, Eleanor, who, yeah. yeah, her work, um, which won her Nobel Prize in economics in 2011, was trying to push back against the narrative of the tragedy of the commons, because essentially it's saying that if there's a resource, humans are naturally going to exploit it. If you don't, someone else will when that is literally the opposite of how indigenous communities and local communities have been living their lives, very much in conjunction with the environment, very much taking cues for environmental health. And of course, that looks very different for every community based on where you live. But it's so fascinating that that it's so obvious in many ways that the tragedy of the commons is not how human nature has to work, but we continue to believe kind of the worst of human nature and that a lot of times these big corporate owners like to exploit that to make us feel like what they're doing is justified or what they're doing is a natural next step when that just doesn't have to be true. I also want to acknowledge that even though Eleanor Ostrom sort of did this research and was coming from a very academic lens, Indigenous people have been talking about that and living that and experiencing that and leading that for so long. So their lived experience is equally, if not more important when talking about this. So, um, and the last thing that kind of came up for me, especially just looking to movements to day for environmental justice and direct action against environmental injustice. Um, we can look to the protectors, a lot of Native Hawaiians who are taking their claims, taking their bodies really to protect Mauna Kea um, from the scientific community that wants to place a telescope on the top of the mountain, which is very much sacred land for Native Hawaiians. And I mean, we can start kind of moving the conversation to how indigenous knowledge um, around astronomy and space is also affected in this process. Um, there's also sort of the Line 3 protests in Minnesota happening. And so something that I'm thinking about is there are not necessarily people out in space from what we know, even though that's definitely an ongoing research mission. Like, how does this like lack of opposition kind of affect the process? And how does governance become more or less important, more or less powerful? Um, when the sort of bottom-up movement to oppose space colonization maybe physically that so many indigenous groups and um, supporters, co-conspirators have had to like consistently fight against. Already, I mean, I think it's really interesting this intersection you bring up around astronomy because I think astronomy as a discipline has very often really harmed indigenous communities in terms of like literally placing satellites, telescopes in in the name of quote unquote scientific research in the middle of sacred land, essentially. There's there, it's very, very interesting, especially around um, like the light pollution from satellites, which is in many ways just like destroy. There are so many satellites in space right now, and it'll only be getting worse. Um, that is literally just destroying our, or I should say, it's literally changing the night sky. Like that's how much light pollution is going through the air. And so Scientific astronomers are quite upset about this because it's impacting their ability to, um, you know, learn knowledge, quote unquote. But for many indigenous communities, like the sky is sacred and is 
so central and important to like cultural practices. So like, for example, like Polynesian navigation is, is literally based on following the stars. And if the stars are different, you know, because of stuff that like, we're just tossing into space, right? Like that, that affects everybody. I think there is like an acknowledgement that to look to um, like indigenous leaders, both like scholarly and just like knowledge holders and indigenous principles um, and, and, and to um, have those principles like lead us in our understanding of how we should approach space can be something as a way to fight back against the kind of like exploitative, as you said, like the tragedy of the commons narratives. So there's a very good nature article that we'll link to um, about how um, understanding space as a like a celestial commons essentially, and it as being very sacred um, can, can help us think about our obligations to how we ought to treat space. The, what we do to nature and what we do to like, not just the earth, but everything will ultimately affect everybody and some communities more than others. There's, I think this argument that like humans, quote unquote, can div divorce themselves from nature that like we can harm nature, but as long as like we can build things that protect us from nature, whether that be like urban landscapes or like modern medicine that allow us to like treat diseases, that it doesn't matter what we do to nature, whether it's on earth and on the planet. But I think like, particularly with coronavirus, like that has been shown to not be true that like the way we treat nature and, um, what what we do to the world around us, both on Earth and in the stars, affects us. Yeah, I yeah, and I do want to go back and say like there should be no expectation that Indigenous people will have to consistently fight against you know the existence and their rights to stay on land. Like, in fact, allies, co-conspirators, all of us need to be contributing to that kind of resistance that you know for far too long has fallen on the backs of folks who are most affected by climate change that they didn't cause. I mean, the great irony is that the communities affected by climate change, the ones that are affected first, sort of like island nations, local groups, um, indigenous communities are often the ones who contributed least to climate change. And then the burden falls on them to fight for their own existence. And that is just so exhausting, um, so unjust um, on the part of every, every community who has contributed to climate change in some way, shape or form. Um, and it's hard to kind of draw, draw borders around who's done what, given that it just all kind of all spills over. But you're right that eventually in the end, all of us are going to be affected in some way. And it's really important to note that we're all going to be affected differently. People are, have already been affected. And so when you think about, yeah, sort of colonization in space where there are no people, I mean, you mentioned so many examples of how pollution in space has negative impacts for people on Earth and also pollution and other environmental injustice in space might have impacts on how we even know the solar system. Um, and speaking of sort of that, like you have talked to me quite a bit too about what life might look like on Mars and how people might afford it. And Mr. Elon Musk said, if people cannot afford to go to Mars, they can just work it off with a giant loan. So would you like to talk a little bit about 
kind of those aspects or even the tensions that, you know, just because there aren't people now in space, there's already projected tensions of what's going to happen. And tensions is a really, really nice word here. Like injustice is yeah. perhaps a better word. I think there's two things that sometimes aren't acknowledged enough. Like the first is the role of private corporations in colonialism. I think that sometimes it can be really easy to assume that colonialism was just these kind of almost immoral state powers because that's what they ended in. They ended in empire. But the role of private corporations in some of the like most awful, violent parts of colonialization cannot be ignored. I mean, the British East India Company, for instance, is, is such a good example. I mean, this was a company that, right, this is, you know, it, it had links, obviously, to the British state, but, right, this is a corporation that was violently co colonizing a place. Um, and so I think the fact that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are running companies which are supposed to only be interested in profit and less interested in like maybe, you know, ruling people masks and obscures the violent power that corporations have always wielded and have always um, created in this like colonial capital, racial capitalism, just like quest for profit and power. And Elon Musk, as you, as you bring up, literally said, right, like, it's just, it's funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it is just like almost a verbatim repetition of what happened in the past where he said, look, come to Mars, there'll be jobs. And then it's like, well, what if I can't afford the, the ticket to Mars? Well, I'll give you a loan and you can pay it off on the job in Mars. And somebody at Bloomberg News literally asked him, Elon Musk, and said, Elon, aren't you describing indentured servitude on Mars? And he said, yes, I am. You know, it's like, you're not even hiding it. You're just saying the quiet part out loud, you know. Um, and I think, too, and this this question, to go back to the question about, like, um, what what does it matter if we colonize space if if nobody if no people no humans i should say are there i think really just reminds me of the rhetoric around like or the like original justification for colonization too which was like there were people there there actually were indigenous communities there but the rhetoric was like well they're not exploiting the land properly um and therefore like they don't deserve it and so i think this these types of justifications can, again, mask the harms that are going to be caused, right? So the fact that, like, there is no one on Mars or the moon right now does not mean that in the quest to get there, as we can see from the, like, Indonesia example, that, like, communities will not be harmed, that, like, the environmental impacts of, like, the rockets and whatever like resources they need to get you know get to get people and things to space will not like negatively harm people and then once they're there I mean as Elon Musk seemed to celebrate in his SNL skit that people will also be harmed there's this incredible article that went viral in Atlantic by what's her name um Shannon Styrone called Mars is a hellhole like <laughs> Lest we forget, Mars is a hellhole. Like, 
the the technology that we would need to make Mars habitable for for people, as Elon Musk thinks it is a moral imperative for us to do, is is unimaginable. And certainly, if we want to like, if we want to describe climate change as a technological problem, which I don't think it is, right? The the technology needed to solve climate change on Earth <laughs> is nothing compared to the technology one would need to make Mars habitable so that climate change on Earth is not a problem, right? And so I think what when when people say like you know we need to make humanity an interplanetary species whether you know but even asking whether that is possible or whether that is just one needs to ask what is that what is that argument in service of and I think we need to ask ourselves like what kind of a world do we want to live here on earth first <laughs> before we think about how we want to go to space Absolutely. I mean, that just drives home the point that we have not addressed injustice, inequality, and environmental injustice, specifically, I guess, just in the context of, you know, the environmental harms of why we're moving to space, quote unquote, um, is just impossible. Like, I cannot imagine a future on Mars is going to be better than the Earth, simply because I have just lost hope and faith in the nation states and the actors to do anything about these problems on earth and therefore bring those same problems to space. Um, something else I wanted to point out too, I guess you were talking a little bit about kind of like the kind of inherent sort of racism that justified colonialism and um, in many ways or the ways that, you know, yeah, just the way that a lot of European colonists would justify their colonization by calling the peoples that were living in certain spaces inferior. So what we don't talk about so often is how so many of these private corporations and also government and nation state officials, academics even use their work to justify colonial ideas once again, very close to, this is like not very far away in terms of time, like if, in terms of time scale, this is not like, you know, colonists from the 1900s speaking, these are academics of our time that continue to lead the discussion. And so obviously I don't think Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos have really done any work to acknowledge their internal biases, their internal holds on white supremacy, racial capitalism, and therefore, if they're the leaders of the space colonization race, like, how are we going to differentiate it from any of, like, the enormous harms that have happened on Earth? Um, and I really like what you said about how private corporations have supported colonization throughout, like, it's not just a nation state. I mean, looking back, like, the British East is India company was the, like, colonizer of, yeah. of the South and Southeast in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know, we talk about the way Amazon just has the hold it does on society and all the labor rights issues that have come up with Amazon and the way that many people are extremely overworked, extremely surveilled, like within their job and within their day-to-day -day efforts, the way that union efforts have been quashed. Um, and also just a quick rant about climate change technology. It's like, not everything has to be a technological solution. Literally, there are policy-based solutions. There are literally just ways of living with the environment that if we employ on small-scale groups, which again is how many indigenous groups have been living their sort of lives and existences for so long. I mean, they're what, 5% of the world's population and conserve 80% of the biodiversity, which is not their burden to carry, but has had to be really because these patriarchal thought leaders like to spend their time 
pretending that technology is going to solve everything when we have the solutions right in front of us and they're not glamorous and cute. So they don't want to really yeah. invest their time into it. And they can't take individualistic credit for it in a lot of ways, which I think is, is always just like something that's so baffling to me, like in, the, in, I guess it's not just the tech world, but in a lot of worlds where people want to be the sole creator of something and the sole individual responsible for causing an innovation when most things in humanity have come together because of groups and building on knowledge and supporting one another, like a much more healthy, kind, community-oriented like approach, really. And we could go on and on to talk about how neoliberal solutions to the climate and climate change technology have also been used to further displace indigenous peoples or undervalue their knowledge or have already proven how like this kind of colonial mindset to the environment on earth. And in, I guess, I don't even, I can't even say internationally, interspatially, globally, is that? Yeah, intercelestially. globally, <laughs> intercelestially. Um, don't have any implications, which is just, so not true um that goes back to exactly what you were saying right like the myth of technological solution solutionism is a myth in service of an agenda and the university is often um complicit in perpetuating research that supports these myths right whether it's because of research funding whether you know it's ideologically based and and to go back to another point that you made i think like this point around like labor and unionization and Amazon sort of like sprawling empire um, is a really important, like it cannot be divorced from Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk's attempt to get to space. Interesting, this, this question of like NASA and like the state's arm to get to space because the state is also a really, can also be quite an oppressive, just awful institution. But the idea, right, of a democratic state is that at least, at least there is supposed to be some sort of system, like democratic accountability system in place so that you can influence it and that in some way this is supposedly supposed to benefit everybody, the quote unquote common, even if it's the national good, right? Corporations do not have that ethos at all, right? They're at these... Amazon is this incredibly extractive, just like vicious monster. And same with like Elon Musk's like Tesla. I don't know if you've seen like the reporting on like, just like the labor violations and just like, you know, similar things that we've seen across different corporations. But, um, you know, Jeff Bezos on the back of like, a corporation that has really, really harmed a huge swath of people in multiple different ways, whether it's like the working conditions of the warehouses, whether it's just the like awful conditions of like Amazon delivery drivers has extracted so much wealth. I mean, Jeff Bezos, I think him and Elon Musk compete for the position as like the richest person on the planet. These are the two richest men in the entire world. They have amassed a fortune, people, and they're using that fortune to fund private space exploration and colonialization, right? Right. And so similarly, whereas like NASA was sort of like a a, a, a policy of the United States. States, which was supposed to be for national pride. Now these billionaires 
are setting policy and objectives for humanity. Um, and we have mm-hmm. and have presided over an economic system in which two dudes, like two guys, have so much money that they can get to space. I mean, somebody's just like, give us health care. Like, literally. You know. I wanted to share a tweet in the vein of do we really need climate technology or that's simplified. We don't need more climate technology without any of the other infrastructure and social systems working to support the limiting of fossil fuels and other harmful extractive activities. Uh, but there's this tweet by a climate journalist named Kathan Joshi that the caption is like, please allow me to reshare my rough sketch of some advanced carbon capture technology. And it's literally a stick figure person pointing to a rock saying, oh, that's a fossil fuel. I'll just leave it here. Like that is that's the solution. needs to happen. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah. We'll definitely link to that in the notes as well. Um, and something else you said about how our governing system is broken. I mean, something I've heard too a lot about sort of the prison system and like the carceral state in general is it's not broken. It's working exactly as it's intended to, to support, you know, a white supremacist kind of hierarchy of power. And so in some ways, the government, at least in this example that you're bringing up related to Elon Musk, is maybe working exactly as intended um, for private powers to just continue their hold on society. I mean, we can talk about lobbies politically and how private corporations have really persuaded the government to do what needs to be done for them in many ways. I wasn't really aware of like the labor rights violations at Tesla, but that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, and this has been a trend too that's historically been part of the U.S. I think somewhere around the 1800s, like when you think of like the big oil magnates and the big railroad magnates, like it's a similar kind of situation where the quote unquote most powerful, I at the time, some may have called them smart. I would rationalize that more with they were very powerful and very wealthy and could make their ideas a reality uh, because they held that political and economic power. But a lot of them did not go into government because they believed in the welfare of the people. They went into private corporations because they wanted to believe in sort of the welfare of maybe the welfare of the people, but essentially the welfare of themselves and not really thinking about the exploitative nature of a lot of what they were doing. And and that's kind of really continued, I think, with Bezos and, and Elon Musk were two of those figures in our time. And it's hard because of someone in environmental engineering, like the idea of decarbonization through Tesla is very cool. But again, we try to isolate engineering and technology from, and science from policy and social justice and human rights. And that's just impossible. Like if you're not doing it, it's probably because you're ignoring some of these important connotations, not because they're not there. And so this like depoliticization of like space because there's no people there is just so harmful again, for many ways. the idea that people can live like billionaires and then other people are living on less than $1 a day in society. And people like to pretend that if they just work hard and bootstrap themselves, like they'll make it, which is just very toxic myth. It just reminds me that like, it just feels like we're throwing money at these toys that seem cool because we're convinced by people who are powerful that they are cool when a lot of the solutions are very, very much renouncing your power privilege and voice in it. Not necessarily voice, but your power, privilege, and material kind of hold in a conversation or in a certain system. One of the things that's so so 
unsettling to me and so harmful about the conversation around space, particularly as Elon Musk in particular, Jeff Bezos a little bit more quiet about like the cultural imaginary, although he certainly participates in it. But Elon Musk is very vocal in terms, and especially around the people who really admire Elon Musk, in creating what is a very, very compelling image of the future, right? And you can see that even, even as people kind of laugh about it or, or don't take it that seriously, but you could see that in his SNL appearance that he's cultivating and creating this image of what the future of humanity is going to look like. And it's, right, it is very easy. It's, it's captivating in a way, right? Like, it's like, yeah, okay, this is, this is the new manifest destiny. Like, we humans, uh, we have all this technological power. I mean, look at, like, what we've been able to invent and create. But what I really want, I hope that people listening to this, like take out of it is to question like the power structures and dynamics those myths obscure and perpetuate. Why do we need to become an interplanetary species? You know, we have a perfectly good, not just perfectly good planet. We have an incredible planet. There, there may be some sort of argument in terms of like scientific knowledge and discovery and discovering new places, but there is absolutely no reason why we need to go to Mars. And I think one of the, the things that really irks me about um, technology, you know, the, the myth and the language around technological innovation is that it's so kind of obsessed with what humans can create you know, like we created this, we made this, we're like so incredible. Look, we can like go to Mars and we can like make Mars habitable, right? And it, and it appeals to this sense of being like gods, you know, whereas for me, when I think about like knowledge exploration um, and like, quote unquote, like trying to understand the world, like a lot of what I feel is so remarkable is just like, understanding just like the beauty of like the world as we find ourselves in it right there is there was in the New York Times um, a few months ago an incredible article about how trees talk to each other through networks and their roots this was such it was like such an emotional article for me to read both like in an inspirational sense and in a kind of like devastating sense which was like that is, you know, the, and the, the, the potential for like, like trees to have cognitive ability, you know, like I think of, like, I think many of us can think of, you know, when we were children, like just, you know, you talk to trees or you talk to plants and, and what it, to me, what that article really showed is that to have a sort of almost like sacred understanding of the earth and nature is not only like like moral and a moral imperative but it's just like a it's just true what I hope for in terms of thinking about like another compelling image of the future is not this sort of like almost crusading like triumphalist like quest for like human imperialism and domination but just like a genuine wonder and curiosity about the natural world that we find ourselves in 
and like a search for and an and an appreciation for like knowledge that has been lost and knowledge that was kind of there all along and making a more like equitable and just like future that acknowledges like power relations and tries to make it so that like everybody on the planet has a more equitable just participatory um like future I actually really loved that New York Times article as well and I believe there's a book coming out as that talks about kind of this relationship between trees and how they communicate um and it's just it, it's such a good reminder that it doesn't take much to really be inspired and to be like enamored with with the world around you and in fact like you're right the most ideal like kind of utopic vision can just be returning to these roots and returning to these roots in terms of like the physical nature around us returning to roots in terms of community like things are so much more wonderfully achieved in community when you care about one another and care about these reciprocal relationships than when they're done alone and done in such a like hierarchical manner like this idea of being in community, not only with people around you, but the environment is just so powerful and so much of what I feel like local knowledge tries to elevate. And it's just something that's so healthy and could be the model for the future, but is very much ignored kind of in favor of this like colonizing approach. But these are the, the images that we should be working towards. And these, it's so much more powerful when you're working with others in that process. Thanks so much again to Shika for coming on this episode of the Anti-Dystopians to talk about space colonization and the tech billionaires trying to get to outer space. Since we talked a lot about Indigenous communities on this podcast, we want to make sure that we're highlighting and centering Indigenous voices. So if you check out the show notes below, we're going to include links to a number of podcasts, readings, and other resources by Indigenous communities, activists, scholars that you can follow. You can also sign up for the email newsletter of the Anti-Dystopians to have all these links sent straight to your inbox. To stop the world from descending into dystopia, be sure to subscribe to the Anti-Dystopians wherever you get your podcasts.